Eddie Spencer. That was a very interesting little story there about the uh, about the uh, astral sex. Call it that way. Call it that. Let's bring Michelle in. There she is. Hi. Hey, Michelle. Thank you for being here. Nice to meet you. I was very pleased to receive the invitation. So thank you very much. Awesome. Looks like you are a cat person. You've got a Tartarian uh, cat castle in the background there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got him at my feet right now. Okay. Yeah. I, I've, I've got uh, Rosie <laughs> right here. Uh, well, well, nice to meet you. And uh, boy, I tell you, a lot of people have been clamoring. You got to have Michelle Gibson on. You got to have Michelle Gibson on. I'm like, okay, okay, we're going to make it happen. And today is the day. So thanks again for being here. And thanks for doing all your work. Um, and we're going to, we're going to jump into the Tartarian stuff and circuit board earth, which is circuit board earth, which is really one of your big things. Before we do that, I, I want to find out a little bit more about you and um, you know, your background, like, like how you got into this. What were you like in high school? What, what did you do in high school? I, I was pretty, um, bookwormish yeah um very serious student and uh kind of I've, I've identified as an old soul my whole life you know even before any of this stuff started to come through to me but mm -hmm. um i i was a big reader um i read books like the iliad and the odyssey when they weren't required <laughs> you know, like right before, and les miserables and the count of monte cristo i was reading when i was in high school Right. Um, so I think I always had a mind that just, I didn't want to feed myself junk. Right. And, and that pretty much remains true to this day. So um, that, that dovetails with having a high emotional IQ, by the way, as well. Right. Which you probably, you were probably one of those kids in the Daniel Goleman experiment. You would have waited and gotten that second donut, I bet. <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I never did anything remotely like this before 2018, and I started to receive the information that my research is based on around 2016, but I, I felt connected to this my whole life. Even mm -hmm. when I was a little kid, I would notice things and kind of file it away that I started to pull back out when I started to piece together what, what I became aware of. And when I became aware of it, I, you know, I'm basically a well-prepared vessel. Yes. All the I, things with your research, you have, it's like you have the, you have the map in you already. Right. Yeah. It just had to come out. Cause I, I didn't know anything about any of this when I was growing up, I grew up in a, you know, middle-class family. My parents were teachers. Um, my parents weren't strict about going to church, but I was dedicated in the Baptist church when I was a baby and, you know, baptized when I was a teenager and all of that stuff, but I, it really didn't resonate with me, but that's the kind of environment I had in my childhood. So um, I've, this has just come to me through synchronicities in my life, through intuition, um, you know, doing things that people didn't expect, moving around to a lot of different places. I was in the army mm -hmm. for four years. I spent time in Germany, two years and then when I got out of the service, I went to college and got my degree in social work and psychology. Mm -hmm. And I spent about 13 years as a geriatric social worker and activities director. 
Um, and then my, my husband, uh, I found out a couple of years ago, it was related to Agent, Agent Orange, but my husband got catastrophically ill and um, he passed away in 2001. And then I got out of that field around 2003, I think, because I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Right. Um, and I haven't worked in that field since then. I've had other different job experiences. Um, I was the committee and projects coordinator for the Fairbanks Chamber of Commerce for about five years. Um, Fairbanks, was, Ala- Fairbanks, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was an amazing experience. We were just talking about Alaska with uh, Eddie Spencer. Um, so, so you're in Arizona now, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. I moved oh. here in 20, um, 2017, February of 2017. And I had already started to receive, you know, I had already, I guess, been incubating what I found, which was basically, um, I learned about sacred geometry around 2007 when I was living in Fairbanks. Um, my husband and I had lived there from 94 to 99, and then I moved back there in 2006 and lived there from 2006 to 2012. It was between 2006 and 2012 um, that it was like a whole new uh, streams of information were opening up, and that was when I learned about sacred geometry. I went to Oklahoma in 2012 to help my my mom, uh, my brother had moved my mom there and I was involved in making sure, helping out with that for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And it was when I was in Oklahoma between 2012, 2016, that I started to get the information about this ancient civilization that's actually all around us that we're living on top of working in every day. No knowledge of it because we haven't been told about it. And, and that's how they've been able to hide it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it feels like, um, like I said, I started doing my, my blogging and video making in earnest in 2018. Um, but in 2016, and I apologize for my tattered map. That's okay. Um, I was having experiences uh, traveling around the area and a friend of mine gave me a map, one of my travel friends. And I had it. Oh, on that's like a Herkaba, isn't it? It's like a Herkaba. It's a, it's a star, what's called a star tetrahedron, but it's also yeah. known as the Merkaba. Merkaba, and, right. Merkaba. Yeah. And I so noticed th- the, those were your journeys. Wow. Look at that. Check that out. Yeah. That was what got me started because I noticed the cities were lining up in lines and I had already learned about sacred geometry mm-hmm. and I had, I've been eating up all the information I could find about uh, ley lines and earth mysteries and, you know, a lot of dowsers dousing ley lines and finding these places in alignment. And so I had that background. Um, I read fingerprints of the gods many years ago and um, the Orion theory about the Giza pyramids lining up with the Orion's Robert, Bo- Robert Bovol. Bovol. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh-huh. So I had read that um, when I was still up in Fairbanks. So I was, I was getting this education in alternative history because I was way more interested in, in that than what we're what taught. Was happening going on right now. <laughs> Even right though exactly. I, I loved history when I was in high school, you know, as a high school student, right. um, loved history. So I, I had a basic, pretty good grounding in what we're taught because mm-hmm. I liked, liked history, yeah. but I'm really glad that I didn't study it as a degree because I don't think I would have been open to receiving this information. Yeah. You'd have to deconstruct all of that. And that's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I didn't have anything to let go of when right. I started to 
to see what was actually in the environment around me. I didn't have any uh, belief systems um, that were dogmatic um, mm-hmm. that kept me from getting this. I just really wanted to know the truth. And it's not what we've been told. It doesn't clearly even remotely clear, resemble what we've not. been told. <laughs> clearly it's not. So just a couple things. Uh, when I was young, I, I, I'm from the Bay Area in California. So I used to spend a lot of time hanging out at the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, which a number of people have done videos on, including John Levi, who is one of my favorite people who dive into this material. And I was just drawn to the Palace of Fine Arts. Like I would just go there to hang out. Not I, I, There were events there every now and then. I'd go to the odd concert. Um, they have a thing called the Exploratorium there. And I used, to, I used to do like summer programs with kids and I would take the kids there sometimes. And sometimes I just go on my own just because it was fun, right? And that's in the Palace of Fine Arts. But I would just go there for the feeling. And when you get into that building, you get into the mystery of San Francisco. Like it is the gateway to the mystery of San Francisco and what was going on. So I, I always had this affinity for this thing. And it was kind of bubbling up inside of me for, you know, you know, all my life. I didn't, I didn't know it, but it was there. And the other thing, and this gets into really your wheelhouse, which is circuit board earth. I remember the first time I flew in a plane and I was conscious and aware. I was around 22. I'd flown in planes before, but I wasn't all that conscious. And not many times. And I was flying across the country. I was going from San Francisco to, um, to Boston. And I looked down and I said, this is a freaking circuit board. Like these things are transistors and those are diodes. And it was just weird. Right. I'm, I'm like, hasn't anybody ever like made this connection before? It's around 1983. And I just put it in the back of my head, but that was clearly something that stood out for me during that flight. And that was, that's something that you've done a lot of work on, which I do want to touch on question. I want to ask you, okay. And this is an important question. It seems like something happens around 2016. All of a sudden this material begins to emerge around 2016. Why? It was always there. You know, we were looking at mounds, the mound builders. We spent some time at pyramids, right? But nothing to this extent. What happened? What, what do you think happened around 20? Do you have any thoughts around this? Well, well like I said, that was when I found the star tetrahedron. Actually, right. yeah, that was when I found the star tetrahedron. Right. And but it seems like it, everybody it, sort of kind of moves in on Tartaria around 2016. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I started to wake up around the end of the Mayan calendar. That was when I really started paying attention because I was very curious. I was wondering what was going to happen. And I really thought something was going to happen on December 21st of 2012. You're not the only one, by the way. And so um, there were a lot of things I, I picked up around that time. And that was when I woke up spiritually. Um, you know, we're much more than, not only have we been taught a false history, we've been taught falsehoods about who we really are and how powerful we really are. Agreed, 100%. And they don't want us to know that. That's why they gaslight us. That's why, you know, we're given completely wrong information or confusing information or, you know, different sides are pitted against each other. 
you know, in so many ways. They don't want us to figure this stuff out. But I think something did happen on December 21st, 2012. It wasn't I think what you're, I was expecting. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Something did happen. But I think something shifted. And um, in my journey, I mean, I, I was I was awake enough to know between 2012 and 2016, the stuff that was going on that we're not aware of in our world. I woke up to that after mm-hmm. I woke up spiritually. And at that level of awareness, I, I was really concerned there for a while. But I, I have a different viewpoint. You know, again, a lot of it was trying to figure out what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. You know, there's a little bit of prepping going on on the side and, right. and all this other stuff. Um, but I really do feel like um, things are changing and the control of the narrative has been lost. And I think in this 10-year period, I think, you know, if you know, talk about, you know, the idea of a critical mass in consciousness of, of, of people waking up more and more in the collective and the, um, the efforts to keep us from waking up have been extreme, mm. but it hasn't been able to stop. Right. And my understanding is that the internet was created as a control mechanism but what it actually turned into was an awakening mechanism because I know mm-hmm. I would never have gotten anywhere in the research that I'm doing um, without it. And my own life experiences in the last 10 years have, have been, you know, nothing short of remarkable. I mean, like I said, I've never done anything like this in my life before 2018. Um, but it's like, I had this so much information to draw from mm-hmm. that I can do it. I could do it forever. Right. And not finish. And I don't have anything else to write about. I mean, I, I've always been a good writer, but I never wrote anything. And if I didn't have this to write about, I, I wouldn't write anything because I'm, you know, I'm not going to write about my life. I, I was never interested in journalism. I was, you know, never, there were so many things I was never interested in, but it's like, I had the skill sets that I needed to be able to do this in particular. And when it all came together for me, I was like, okay, I've got to do something with this. I can't just sit on it. I couldn't live with myself if I had gotten this kind of information and didn't do anything with it. Right. You know, so you're, you're not only prolific because you put out a lot of content, but you're also profound. I mean, the things that you find and the connections you, you make between certain things are, you know, they're very unique and the Tartarian community has just absolutely mushroomed over the last two to three years. And there, there's a lot of copycat kind of things happening. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of other people. There are a lot of people. There are not a lot, but there are some people who do really great work. Like, Absolutely. You know, and what I find interesting about this phenomenon in this community is that, yeah, there's, there's, there's the kind of the copycatting and there's sort of the piggybacking, but there's so much material to go around that it's almost like this sort of unconscious crowdsourcing in, in a sort of way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I was just watching the, the latest uh, <clears throat> mind unveiled video and they were talking about the insane asylums and this technology that they, they were using theoretically to actually target people. Um, very interesting stuff. Now I don't know if John Levi had watched that video, 
but John's done, done stuff on the, on the uh, insane asylums. And he did, he did a video on Sunday about the insane asylums. And then Mind Unveiled comes out with her video on the insane. Asylum. So it's almost like there's this very interesting kind of collective response to what's going on right now, which I find really exciting. And it's extremely important, you know, because, you know, we're all doing different things in our own way, but the information is there. And once you start to uncover it, the number of insane asylums, the number of orphanages, it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and no pun intended. Yeah. Um, the 19th century was a mess for humanity. And I absolutely believe there was some kind of event. You know, some people think it was natural. I tend to think it was man-made because of how the controllers were able to come in shovel ready to start digging out enough infrastructure to be able to restart civilization um, and seize control at the ground level, literally, of our, you know, the banking financial systems of educational systems, you know, all around them. It really got off the ground in the mid 19th century. Yep. But yep. between 1800 and 1900, very busy, busy time in our historical oh, narrative. I mean, you, you have, you know, of course the, the, the world's fairs, which are a global event. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the burning of the cities, which is huge. Like, like yep. a, really, you know, I was watching this documentary on Walt Whitman who's a, who's a pretty interesting character. And when he was, I think around 19 years old, well, I, he, I believe he started the first newspaper on Long Island from, and it's still in existence to this day, but his partners of course, schemed him out of being in the newspaper. So he got a job as a, a writer for a newspaper in New York city. I believe Walt Whitman is the first person to write about baseball, which is kind of interesting. Um, but the publishing company that he worked at in Manhattan burned down. And apparently it wasn't just one publishing company. There were over 700 publishing companies on this one block that all burned down simultaneously. And so he was again out of a job, but that is not inconsistent for that time where there were all these massive fires around the world. There were five big fires within a two-day period and included the Great Chicago Fire. This is in 1871. Um, the Peshtigo Fire in Wisconsin, which was very damaging. And um, there's several other fires in that region in Michigan, you know, all in the same time frame. And it's, it's very clear when you start looking at it. And they tell us in our history, you know, when you go look it up, they're telling us. But then when you start digging deeper and who the people were involved in, what was going on at the time, I mean, um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up and it's very suspicious. And um, you mentioned the, the San Francisco, it was the um, Panama Pacific Exposition, I believe 1915. It was, that would have been built if we believe what they're telling us after the great Chicago, the great San Francisco earthquake and fire of 1906. Right. So what they tell us is that if you look at the pictures of San Francisco after, during and after this event, it looks apocalyptic. Absolutely. It looks, it looks like there was a nuclear bomb. Absolutely. But they tell us, it, they call it the ham and eggs fire. So there was the, the earthquake that took place. And then supposedly this fire was started by a kitchen fire. And then you read what they say, and it's almost like this laurel and hearty description of ineptitude 
from the fire department and, you know, blowing up buildings to create fire breaks. So it stops the fire. I mean, just, it was, it's just ludicrous. And then they say that this 1915 exposition was to, you know, look to the future, you know, moving for, you know, San Francisco moving forward, but that would have only been, um, what, nine years? Nine years, nine years. Yeah. <laughs> After this fire that destroyed right. San destroys Francisco. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. And and then it gets really interesting because you mentioned Walt Whitman. Um, I'm just seeing a lot of evidence pointing towards the classical literature of, that we're taught in school. You don't have to read Jack London and Mark Twain and all this stuff. You know, it really looks like they were part of the this shaping of the new narrative. And um, Jack London was a reporter for a paper that was covering the um, the San Francisco fire. Right. You know, yeah. so these names pop up again and again, and then a lot of them have connections to socialism and communism. And, you know, these are the things that we're reading in school and, you know, watching in the movie theater. I mean, how many calls of the wild have been made? Um, right. Absolutely. And Jack, you know, Jack just, London was an avowed communist and, uh, yeah. Whitman, Whitman's politics are interesting. Uh, he's definitely not a communist. He Whitman is like, if anything, he's pro-American, right? When you go back and you look at even his writings on baseball, he calls baseball the American sport and people should go out and fill their lungs with the atmosphere of America and stuff like that. But one of the things that Whitman does do, which, which is kind of interesting after he gets burned out of that job in New York, he, he gets an offer to go to New Orleans and write for a New Orleans newspaper. And one of the things that he does is he writes about a so-called slave auction um, in New Orleans. It spends a lot of time kind of chronicling that part of his time in New Orleans. And I have looked, this is just my own peregrinations, which is probably blasphemic. But I have looked at the Civil War and this whole idea of slavery, and, and I don't agree with the narrative. I don't either. Yeah. I think something happened. I just don't think it happened as advertised. I agree with you. I agree with you. Something was going on, but um, I think it had a lot to do with either destruction of infrastructure and people, perhaps, and creating reasons for things having been built. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've found in my um, my research, particularly starports. And the same is true of the War of 1812. Um, a lot of the starports, coastal defense systems, are said to have been built for that. And then for the Civil War, you know, with again stories that just fall apart under scrutiny. Um, if you look up the story of the earthwork defenses of Cincinnati, is one of them, <laughs> where they they had all of these things built, but then nothing ever happened. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. Right. You know, it, so it's, it's, I think they're, they're covers for something else going on. And I absolutely believe everything that we're seeing out playing today, saying, seeing playing out today has everything to do with what happened before. Yes. I agree. I agree. It, it's all connected. They had to take that civilization out and, you know, replace a, a smaller, lower functioning humanity from what was here before right. in order to control not only us, but the grid system. And um, 
you know, again, and teach us what they wanted us to know and take critical thinking out of the curriculum Mm -hmm. and start to shape and mold what they wanted humanity to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so it's, it's all connected to what's going now, but, you know, there is this awakening happening. It's what they've been afraid of and um, God wins. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so this is an, that's an interesting statement, right? It's an, in a Tartarian world, who or what is God? I, I honestly think that, um, humanity before whatever took place that wiped the civilization off the face of the earth was at functioning at a much higher level. Absolutely. And um, I do believe we have a closer connection to the creator than what we've been told. And I think um, just, and let me go kind of segue a little bit into my own research and that will take us to circuit board earth. Okay. But, but how I got to where I am today is when I, I knew enough for my, my, you know, sucking in all this information about, or soaking up about ley lines and everything. I knew that the ancients were precise. I knew there were the same things in Turkey that there were in South America. And, you know, my mind, who, who could have done this? That sounds great. You know, I can see this myself. So I found this and then I was able to extend the lines out and I wrote down um, about 20 spreadsheets of places that were in alignment with each other geometrically. So either in linear or circular form, I wrote those down. And then my, my real research, my own original research into this started when I, I would go to each data point on my spreadsheet and look and see what was there. And I got an amazing tour of the world of places I'd never heard of. And um, places I would have no reason to look to look into was it were it not on my list, and then what I was finding is that I I knew what to look for, and I always found what I was looking for. So, what were some of those places? Oh my gosh! Um, so, just on this first page, um, Cape Farewell, Greenland, the Faroe Islands in Denmark, um, or they're part of Denmark, no, uh, Trondheim, Norway. The Kjolan Mountains, the Gulf of Bothnia between Sweden and Finland, Vasa, Finland, the Yamal Peninsula in Siberia, Archangelisk, Russia, Tixi, Russia, Tabor, Russia, Yulin, Siberia, Nome, Alaska, McGrath, Alaska, Volcana, Alaska, Anchorage, um, Huna, Juneau, Whitehorse in Yukon Territory, Dawson Creek, British Columbia, Edmonton, Alberta, and Edmonton is the, the tip here where this is right. so so we're i'm following these so you're from, you're from really you're really dialed into into very specific places right and because i had these data points um when i went and look i would see the same infrastructure in all of these places the same characteristics yeah. the same hand of design and then i saw the history of these places and and it was it was from that that i was able to extrapolate the bigger picture and really go into timeline research and what we're told in the historical narrative, and then start to deconstruct the, um, you know, basically the lies that have been told to explain everything in existence. You know, everything has a story, right? <laughs> a reason for being there. But when you look at what we're taught, that we didn't have the technology to explain the big, beautiful buildings behind your behind your head, 
there's, you there's your guy. There's your guy right there. Yeah, he's he's getting a little restless. Like, pay attention to me. Um, it it doesn't explain. I mean, we're told that the Supreme Court building in Washington D.C., which is ginormous, was built between 1932 and 1935. If you go to look it up, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't. Any, any pictures of construction <laughs> at all? I don't. I. I think that there's a lot of stuff that can be photoshopped that's on the internet to well, even certainly, if I, I haven't looked now, at it. Certainly but, now they could manipulate yeah. photos now. Yeah, but the, but they they do that with pictures of the World's Fairs in the 19th century to show that that it was being constructed and other things. I, I, I think I I do not believe that um, they were constructed by by who we are told and when. And again, that's when you when you get into the stories, a lot of it's been destroyed. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of it remains, but quite a bit of this has been destroyed. Economically, it makes no sense when you add up the cost for all these world's fairs and the amount of money that they theoretically spent in order to build them. And you know that they're they're operating at a loss. They're 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 not there to make money. So it makes no economic sense. And if we're living in this capitalist world where people theoretically are doing it to make money, it doesn't add up. The equation for the amount of resources spent for the return on investment makes no sense at all. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. And then you get you know story after story. So I just did something in a, I do, I'm doing a series called Short and Sweet based on places that people have suggested and just getting great, great leads and going in. And because I've been doing this research for a while, like, you know, just pull stuff out. You know what to um, look for, and it's looking for you too, as well, right? Right. I mean, it feels like that. So, for example, in San Francisco, at um, Lands End Park and the Sutro Pools. Yes, I spent some time talking about that on my show. Go ahead. So you have the story that it was built, and um, so Sutro Adolf Sutro ended up in San Francisco for the first time from Prussia, um, probably around the 1850s. I'm just going to, I'm going I'm to bring us some visuals on this. Okay? okay. And then he went to Virginia city and he um, made a fortune with the Comstock load, which was the biggest silver mine. They went back to San Francisco and he's credited with what are called the Sutro baths and um, big, beautiful building, huge um not much of it left today just kind of what you see with the ruins but that's what it used to look like so he was given the credit for this land that he bought lands in and there were a couple of other places that he owned in san francisco another one being mount sutro um and that sutro not only built the baths but there's a, a building right next to it the cliff house and so um so that would have been was it the late 18 late 1800s early 1900s the the dates eluding me but that's when we're told that these you know big buildings were built and then the cliff house supposedly there was something on that location and i'm thinking that burned down and then there was another big beautiful building was built at that location and it burned down (laughs) and then another building was built in that location and it didn't burn down, but it's, it's closed <laughs> as of right. 2020. Right. 
And so that's that story is repeated over and over and over again. Look, look at look at how this thing is just placed right out here. And this is, I think, a more modern photo, probably from the 1950s. And then these are so this is the cliff house and these are the baths over here. I have been on the remains of the cliff house baths dozens and dozens of times. It is one of the most difficult places to build. You're dealing with all the inclement elements here. It's right on the edge of San Francisco. It's foggy most of the time. It's windy, right? In order to do this, you would have to be extremely sophisticated. And 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 again, eighteen what eighteen fifties, right? Right around there, eighteen sixties. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the time frame that that they're giving us. Which, from what I'm finding, it's that's like the the reset officially ramped up in around 1850, 1851. And I believe that was in conjunction with the Crystal Palace exhibition in London. I think right, that was, they, I would think that was the official kickoff of the, of the new world order timeline. So they also had this sky tram, which carried people out there. And it's like, you know, that's not around anymore. I mean, look at this again, the engineering to do this and to get it out there. And to, you know, it's just, it's not, it said it opened in 1955, but there's the fire. But Sutro, Adolf Sutro supposedly had, had built a train that would go from like downtown San Francisco t- to come out here where people could, you know, have their leisurely little uh, holiday stuff. But the story doesn't match. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Right. And I think all of that was all pre-existing, including the rail- railroads and whatnot. And I think they, around the, uh, that same between 1850 and 1900-ish, they were getting the uh, the systems restarted. So the train systems and the streetcar systems and the interurban systems, um, you know, they started with horse-drawn or mule-drawn streetcars, for example, and they got them electrified. Uh, this was around, starting around, so around 1850, they were drawn by um, horses or mules. Right. Starting around 1870, 1890-ish, they were being becoming electrified. And then by the 1930s or so, they were all gone. Yep. You know, very few remaining. I mean, you've got the streetcar system in San Francisco, and certainly you have it in other cities, but streetcars were literally everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. Tiny towns. Yeah. New York York had its own version of cable cars. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen the footage. And a lot of people don't understand how complex the cable car system in San Francisco actually is. There, I found a historical photo of a streetcar in the middle of the Amazon in Manaus, Brazil. Wow. Which, I'm sorry, that's long gone too. But, you know, there's really no good road access. It's like a 400 mile long highway through the part of the year you can't even use. And then there's the Amazon River. Um, but these were literally everywhere. I mean, I, I live in Sedona and I was in Prescott a couple of months ago showing somebody around Prescott because you can see all this stuff from Prescott. Well, you can see it all through here. Right. Um, but there was a, I found some pavement lights, the prism lights, if you're familiar with those that get taken out also. It's like there's a lot more going on underground than we realize. Yeah. A natural lighting system. Um, but there was talk, a- Talk about that a little bit. I'm not familiar with it. Talk about that. Okay, now this was brought to my attention by a YouTuber named Stuff Beagle, 
And so um, he, he and I collaborated on a few things a couple of years ago, but it's, it's really his baby bringing out the importance of these lights. Um, but it's a type of light. It's, it's like a, like a, I want to say almost like a crystal, um, but they were put in the pavement and these used to be everywhere. Like these are, it's another thing that used to be everywhere. So the idea is that there was something under, underground that, that needed to be lit up. And, um, and those went out with electric, you know, the availability of electricity and electric lighting, you know, Edison and, and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So they became unfashionable, you know? right. um, but they are, they are on the hatchet list for, for destruction. These, these lights. So there's, um, I was walking with my friend down this, down the street in Prescott and it's clearly kind of a mudblood city and it's all it's in the it's kind of in where compared to other places i mean so you've got flagstaff and then you have i-17 going next and then um you know sedona's west of that a few miles and then prescott's kind of off in a little pocket across the mountain from where i live mm-hmm. um so it's about a let's say about to, an hour for me to get to that place mm-hmm. but it's not i mean you wouldn't expect to find something like streetcars there based on the history that we've been taught so that's just one example but all of these you know these places were removed um in big cities too but definitely in small cities when right you know after ford invented the automobile and that came online and buses came online they didn't need the streetcars anymore so they got rid of most of them right, right and yeah. why i mean ask you why yeah. you know non-polluting you know cheap gets you where you need to go and then they bring in cars and then you get you know the whole insurance industry and you know all the medical stuff that goes along with accidents yes. and all the legal <laughs> stuff and all yep. the pollution and us having to pay them for gas and you know the the wealthy getting richer and richer right yeah, so they say so they, they they got rid of them as soon as they didn't need them anymore right and there and there was kind of this interesting competition between electric cars and um and uh you know, petroleum based cars. And even there were steam engines, they had cars with steam engines. So there were these three kind of competitive models with cars early on. And then of course the, uh, the combustion engine won out on, on all three of them. And then, um, so segue into this border birth idea is let's look back at San Francisco and all the lighthouses. There's right. lighthouses everywhere. Yep. And the, I absolutely believe they were part of this, this grid system. I think everything worked perfectly together. Um, maybe a, a, just perpetually generating free energy mm-hmm. and it was all integrated. It was all connected and um, powered this civilization. And it's hard, you know, I have some ideas as to how it might've happened, but I think whatever happened here was relatively recently. Yes. And and then this whole reset timeline was brought in. 
but I think we got pretty far along in our evolution, so to speak, from ancient to modern, um, because we're still using their infrastructure. Yeah. So I don't think this happened a long time ago. I think something happened relatively recently, and then we were given this whole new timeline. Right. So, um, so to, for an example, so we talk about the, the lighthouses and the connection to this energy grid system. Um, I've, I've seen many, many solar and lunar alignments, you know, kind of like that one. But there's other, there's other examples. You even see it with the Statue of Liberty, which was actually a lighthouse. There's solar and lunar alignments with these lighthouses. And um, I, they may have been there to guide yes, but I think they were doing something as well. Um, type in lighthouses with, with solar alignment. Just add okay. with solar alignment. Just to let you know, you're, you're, you're kind of uh, breaking up a little bit on the signal side. I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, so sometimes it clears up. I'm just letting you know. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. So lighthouses with solar, with solar alignment. Alignment. So These are all images. I could go into um, Let's go into all. Yeah, go into all because I think it's just showing. Um, light, okay, put lighthouse with sun coming up behind it. It doesn't seem to want to recognize that. Because I usually, I usually find this when I'm looking at per lighthouse images for different places. Because I found, I found perfect alignments with these lighthouses. Like, like it's like right sitting, here. like sitting on top of it perfectly. Like that one right there. It's close. I, I've seen it. It's like it's heading in that direction. <laughs> this one here, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Or McNeil, McKeel. This one here, where um, lighthouses, or this one, to keep going. Like that one. That one? This one here, on the, on, the on the far left of that line. Fine Art America, that one, yeah. Yeah. Wow, look at that, right over the top. Right over the top. And that's just, I mean, I've got, lots of examples in my in my research um so there was definitely a connection with lighthouses and these alignments but that's that's just to say that what i'm finding is that everything on earth from this original civilization is perfectly in perfect alignment um with the heavens and interesting you know i think they knew exactly where they were who they were what we were here for which i don't think was consumerism <laughs> Um, you know, I think we're, there's a spiritual reasons for us being here in mm -hmm. physical form and learning how to connect with our higher selves. Um, so, so that there's that piece. So everything was in perfect alignment with heaven and earth, heaven's mirror and Graham Hancock talks about that concept, um, a lot and, and it goes back to ancient times. So like, um, you know, you have the temple complexes around the world lining up with different constellations. Right. And that's been known about for a long time. But it's, it's like this same thing goes on up to our modern buildings. Everything is in alignment with the sun, with the moon, with the constellations. Um, the grid, the street pattern of Manhattan 
there's a phenomenon twice a year called Manhattan Inch where the sun, the rising sun lines up with the, the street grid, Manhattan Inch, you know, so everything was, was lined out perfectly. Um, buildings were aligned in alignment with the cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Mm-hmm. And you can see that with buildings that are, you know, if you start looking at the older buildings, they're all look, facing in the same direction. Every single major league baseball stadium and even college stadiums that I've ever been in, they all faced towards the Northeast, all of them. Home, home plate is kind of cantered a little bit towards the Southwest. They're all aligned with Sirius. Every single major league baseball stadium is aligned with Sirius. And I, I, I hadn't picked up on that piece of information, but yes, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about very precisely placed um, infrastructure serving this purpose, I think, of um, probably many different purposes. But getting into the circuit border earth con- concept, one of the things, my, the aha came, um, I did a piece a year or two ago on the Sulphur Springs water tower in Tampa. And it had, it, I was passing by it. I'm like, what's that doing there? And this was in 2016, as I'm starting to wake up to right. this even more and more. Um, so I spent about a day just kind of researching field research around the water tower. So starting there and then going into the Sulphur Springs neighborhood of Tampa, which is, um, an older neighborhood it's a poor neighborhood now um but you know still see this same trademarks there and there's is a an old greyhound racing stadium there in sulfur springs and when i looked at it on google earth i saw the relationship between the tampa international airport and the old greyhound stadium and then somebody had suggested that i look at a place called the shepherd's bush district in and that thing's huge, by the way. It's massive. And again, the story that goes along with that just doesn't match reality. You know what this reminds me of a little bit, <laughs> even though there's a different size, size difference, is Coit Tower in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, myself and other researchers are looking into those kinds of things as being like um, something to do with airships. Ah, interesting. And, and like this one, if you if you read about it, it says there used to be an elevator in it, or there was an elevator in it. It's like why would there be an elevator in a water tower? Yeah, um, exactly. So there's again, there's something more going on with these, and the story doesn't match. But um, when I was looking at this place in London, it uh, the London Olympics were held there at White City in this area. And I saw the white city track and I saw Heathrow airport and it was like the same configuration with the track and the airport. And so other people sent me other suggestions and I'm looking at all these places and I'm seeing this pattern of airports and these um, tracks, some kind of ellipse, sometimes a major sports center, but um, all in a, like a 45 degree angle, some kind of angular relationship. And then I, I got deeper into that with uh, railroad yards and major stadiums, like you're talking about. They all tend to have the same characteristics in different places. Mm-hmm. And so, it, and then again, in the course of doing my research, I started to um, pull out more and more examples of 
how these patterns were so similar in different places. And that was how I developed my whole idea of the circuit board earth is because I was seeing these repetitive patterns. And then I was seeing things like um, the trolley cars, uh, trolley cars and hot springs, you know, the, the trolley cars and you had the, the track um, springs, what are springs actually <laughs> in, yeah, in the grid, exactly. yeah, you know, some yeah, yeah. kind of component. Right. Um, and so, and then from there, I, you know, I, I just picked up on relationships when I was looking at different cities and, you know, similarities between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. And if, if you kind of set them side by side, the, the stadiums down by the waterfront in or both cities the rivers, look the, rivers. the same. Yeah. And then you've got yeah. bridges <laughs> connecting bridges there at that same location, in both places. I mean, it looks almost looks cookie cutter. Right. And yet they want us to believe all of this took place randomly. And, you know, it's like, so just because I've been doing so much research and I'm immersed in this, I can, you know, I'm getting to the point where I can just kind of pick these things out pretty quickly, but that was part of my journey was looking at these places and then seeing the similarities and, and pattern recognition is, is a skill that I do have. So it's when you look at pattern recognition between, you know, buildings and infrastructure in different places that you can start pulling, really pulling it together because it's, you're not going to find it in writing. No, no, you're, you're just not, not going to find, find it. Writing. Yeah. So what's your, what is your uh, 40,000 foot theory about cir circuit board earth? How are they powering everything? So, well, I, I think all of this, so it was very advanced, very, very, very advanced. I, I think it was probably, it, that definitely as advanced as anywhere. And I don't think we're alone. <laughs> you know? Right. I don't think we're it. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's very advanced. I think it held the imbalance of the universe. Um, and jealous beings crashed the party because they mm. wanted they wanted what humanity had. They don't have what we have, but they do have the they do have the ability to reverse. You know, what's already there. Um, you know, I think we're dealing with that, but I believe there was a very ancient civilization going back to Lemuria. Um, I believe that it was a continuum through Atlantis. It was the same civilization. I think it was all part of the same civilization. And so I bring in the idea of the first, and that was part of my journey to understanding this. I had a, a Moorish in Oklahoma City. Know anything about the Moors before? And, you know, it was like I was coming into whole thing came together for me mm -hmm. between 2012 and 2016. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's like the controllers just kind of fragmented and fractionalized everything. So it's like we went from fractals, wholeness to fractions. And, um, you know, again, for the purpose of just taking over, taking from, from us, and then dividing us against each other um, based on race and religion. Right. And the, the original, big, yeah. the original civilization wasn't like that. And so Tartaria was in Asia. Um, the Washita empire was in North America. You know, you had the, the ones that we know about in South America. Um, you had the Mughal empire in India, the Persian empire, the, you know, I, I over in Japan, 
again, you see all the same infrastructure everywhere. So my conceptualization is it was all part of the same civilization, but it wasn't at war with each other. And they had the same templates. So, so you can see like a castle and a, what you might think of an English castle with a star fort base in Leeds, England, I found. And then I found something in Nagano, Japan, um, what would look like a Japanese castle, same artificial island configuration, but it also had a star fort base. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like the same template, but, you know, different expressions of creativity. I see it as very creative beautiful civilization well, that's, it's, that's, it's very, that's how it's i see very, it it's inspiring right like i mean it kind of you know clicks it checks that um you know that art nouveau sort of vibe right i mean tartaria has kind of an art nouveau feel to it which is very it, very elegant um sort of this high kind of you know i wouldn't say it's modern but it's got a classical feel but it's but it's not rooted in the kind of heavy duty classicism that we would associate with like Greece and Rome. There's something very sophisticated about the whole thing. Right. And, you know, again, they, they tell us without telling us when you see Capriccio art and when you see steampunk, um, you know, really, then again, this is my understanding, you know, according to universal law, they can't do what they've done. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, free will, and they've they've subverted that by t- lying to us to get our consent, yes. and so, um, but they still have to tell us what they're doing. So they they hide it. They hide it in movies. They hide it in art. They hide it in music. They hide it in literature. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't know any better because we haven't been taught any differently. Right. I was I was talking with uh, Mr. Cruz, who's a big fan of yours, by the way, and. Um, we were talking about um, airships and a bunch of other stuff. And I said to him, you know, who'd, who'd have thought that, that uh, Jules Verne was really a historian and not a science fiction writer. And what's interesting is that again, in following the alignments that I found, I went right through um, several places that were uh, mentioned in Verne's books. And one of them is journey to the center of the earth in Iceland. There's a, a volcano, a stratovolcano that is the entrance um, that I that I crossed over on this alignment, and oh, then um, I crossed over the, um, the islands. I think it's the Hebrides Islands, um, kind of off the coast of Scotland. You know, mm-hmm. these are like not easy places to get to or even know about. Um, and there's a um, one of his books came up there in that area. So it's like, you know, how did a 19th century author even know about these places? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing we talked a little bit about was the TV show, The Wild Wild West. Did you ever watch any episodes of The Wild Wild West? No. You should check it out because there's a big steampunk thing that runs through that series. And the, there are two, you know, government agents played by uh, Robert Conrad and um, uh, the guy played Artemis Gordon, whose name I'm spacing out on right now, but they do everything on a train, right? They travel on a train. So the whole train thing is very prevalent and they have kind of weird 
little advanced technology that they, you know, it's sort of like, okay, the whole spy thing, uh, Ross Martin was the other actor. The whole spy thing was big at that time. And Westerns were still kind of big. So it's like, well, let's have a show that combines the spy theme with the Western, but steampunk is all over the wild, wild West. When you get a chance, you should watch a few of those episodes. I mean, because I absolutely believe that what we've been taught about the Wild West is all fiction. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a very effective psyop the way they did it. Right. You know, yeah. very effective. You know, starting out with dime novels in the 19th century and on into the movies. And I mean, they just cranked these out, these Western movies out, you know. Yeah. I mean, that was, a, that, that, was a, and, that was a huge moneymaker, right? John Wayne starred in something like, 50 of these you know just you know throw together westerns before he became a big star i mean that tells you how popular those little western movies were right you know it yeah i mean it just generations just you know impacted on so many kids you know on up into adulthood you know fond memories and whatnot i i've did it done an in-depth study on that i call it shapers of the new narrative and i take it from the westerns on up through um you know, computer age and what it looks like is what's going on with all of that in terms of how we've been programmed, if you will. So and no, ahead. I just wanted to, I just want to add on something. Somebody left me a comment that the first cowboy was a Jesuit. And sure enough, in Arizona, Father Kino was a Jesuit. And, um, you know, there's a bit of information right there. Interesting. Um, the Wild Wild West TV series, I wouldn't call it a classic Western at all. It's its different. It's got a different kind of vibe to it. Are there horses in it sometimes? But it's more a bit of a kind of a interesting little sci-fi thing. The, the, the steampunk is pretty, it's big in that series. So um, just a, another, another, uh, another pitch for that. So let me ask you a question. And this is a question I've asked a number of people and some, some Tartaria people who are the inheritors, who are the controllers? I personally believe that non-human souls found a way to incarnate. Interesting. And, um, so in terms of how I came into a lot of this, um, it's been very synchronistic for me. And I learned about the great frost of Ireland. Um, and that was in 1740, 1741. And it was like 21 months of this really cold weather over Ireland and like half a million people died. And then right after that in 1742 was when Handel's Messiah premiered in Dublin. So it's like after this big event, you know, this pops up, like nothing ever happened, right? Mm -hmm. And then within two years, Mayor Rothschild was born in Frankfurt. Um, a few years after that, Adam Weishaupt was, was born in Ingolstadt. Mm -hmm. And he's the, the father of the Bavarian order of the Illuminati, which right. would be our, you know, Illuminati. Right. And then in 1750, Duke Francis of Saxe-Coburg-Saulfeld was born, and he was the progenitor of the 
what we know as the House of Windsor today. Mm-hmm. became the House of Saxe Coburg and Gotha. And so I believe they replaced the original royal houses with this one lineage, this German lineage. And um, and then you know, you've got the Jesuits, you've got, you had infiltration into um, what we call Freemasonry, but Moorish Masons had built everything. So it was like, using that sacred knowledge of building they can't build like that but they can invert mm-hmm. or use use spells or whatnot to try to keep us down mm-hmm. um and you only get that at the highest levels of masonry so like 32nd 33rd degree no things that the lower degrees don't know and then there's probably something operating above oh there's that. there's degrees higher than 33 that's for <laughs> yeah. sure so and even so, I, um, I i actually knew a 32nd degree mason um, he was one of my clients and I had an interesting conversation with him. He, he confessed to me that he thought that there would be more, right. That he would know more, that there would be kind of, you know, bigger revelations at the 32nd degree. So I thought that was kind of an inter- interesting um, insight into that world. And I think, they give away the, the big goods, 33rd and beyond. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The 33rd know about the Moors. The th- this is from my Moorish friend. The 32nd in Freemasonry do not. But the 32nd yeah. and 33rd degrees in European Freemasonry are Shriners. Mm-hmm. And um, so you see Freemasonry come up a lot. You see um, the Jesuits come up a lot. You see the, even the Mormons, you know, they got it in their name. Yeah, what yeah. Uh, the Mormons are bizarre, right? They're 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 very bizarre, and they've actually become this. And I hope I don't uh, insult any Mormons who don't associate with Mormonism, but they have become, especially with people like Mitt Romney, I think a very divisive and challenging political power at a certain level. And so. So trying to tease apart a couple of things there. One is we're talking about a small percentage within any, within any that we could talk about. So within right. Judaism, within Christianity, within Mormonism, we're talking a very small percentage of people that are actually part of this um, Zionist agenda, if you will. Right. Very, very, very small percentage. Everybody else is, right. they don't know. You know, this is the faith I was born into, and and this is what I've been taught. Of, of all, by the way, be a good all, person. Of all know? the religions I've run across, I have and I've had as clients, ex Mormons are at the top. That's a, that is a group where people have just said, "I'm out of here," right? Like I'm I am I am I am not a part of this thing anymore. Sometimes you'll find that with Catholics. Sometimes people in the church. Rarely do you find it with Judaism, by the way. You know, you don't hear, I don't get, hey, man, I'm over that shit. I got brainwashed, right? But I, I'll hear it with Mormonism. I'm sorry. I just had to interrupt there for a minute and just bring that in. No, no. But I mean, it's just, it's like I said, it's just a very small percentage of people that are part of this, what would call, be called a Zionist agenda, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what we're seeing played out. You know, we're, t- we're told it's one thing. Right. You know, it's Israel and, you know, going back to the homeland. But do people, do many people know that the, the, what we know as Israel today was was purchased by the Rothschilds starting in 
the 18 and then 1800s, you know, and that's, that was used as a focal point um, to further their agenda. And there's a book called the, um, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion mm -hmm. um, from the Zionist conference in the late 19th century. Right. Right. Um, where they, they, they kind of spell out their plans. And then, you know, when it gets out to the public, they're like, Oh no, no, no. That's, you know, it's a, anti-semitic anti it's um, a forgery of course <laughs> you know you if you quote it you're you're an anti-semite and a fascist and you probably follow hitler just goes down that road but it's not as like so many other things it's not as it's presented i think it's it's the agenda that's driving what we're seeing playing out mm -hmm. today i you know that's, I, I that's a more not non-human non-human agenda you know versus a, a very spiritually awakened and aware human being you know, so, connecting, connecting with, with the creator, which I, what, again, my understanding and, and this is hard to find certain things on the internet. So if you look at there's Zion, which is associated with a physical place in Israel, mm -hmm. and then there's Zion, S-I-O-N, which is associated with creator and so it's like, And I mean, that, again, that's what I've been able to piece together from the research that I've done. Right. So we're talking now, do you think it was one specific group and then began to form alliances? I think it's an alliance. Yeah. I do believe fallen angels are real. Mm -hmm. And I original predictive programming. Right. Um, right. And do they they were jealous of humanity, um, God's newest favored creation, and they came up with a plan to, to simply destroy God's creation, you right. know, and, and contaminate us and defile us and I think they're telling us what's been going on. So I think they're in the mix. I think um, probably negative ETs, if people are comfortable with believing that. Like I said, I don't think we're alone. And I, everything that I'm seeing kind of points in that direction is that things have been interfered with greatly here. Even though there's some kind of non-interference idea out there, that's not what's taking place here. I think right. this is a very elaborate plan. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I kind of lean, not that I don't believe that there can be extraterrestrials. Um, I kind of lean into the whole crypto terrestrial idea that you, that these beings are like inside the earth and they emerge from the earth, right? Like, I think that's another possibility. I'm not saying that that's, that these are the people, but I feel like there's, like we always look out there, but we're not really pick it up on what's beneath us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much we don't know. And, yeah. you know, it's just kind of a matter of trying to piece the puzzle together um, with what we do have. And what I will say is that whoever they are, they're not human. Yep. <laughs> well, <laughs> well whoever's behind have, this are not human. They have contrarian values to being a human. So that 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 to me is the first litmus. They're val they may appear 
on some level to be altruistic and benign and set up these foundations and these trusts, but they, they, they have no human values. Yeah. And, and those are all done again as fronts and covers yeah. to, to get what they want. And, you know, it's just um, the levels of, of deceptions goes really deep. Let me, let me give people a visual of your YouTube channel just so that they can um, see all the work that you've done, which is absolutely tremendous. Like you are prolific. Let me just put this up here. And I've also, I also feature other YouTuber, YouTube channels that. Yeah. Um, you're really, really you're good. Ge work. You're generous that way. So I just saw this one with you and Chad Williams, which was excellent. Yeah, he did a really way. good job. He did a really yeah. good job. So, All this stuff about how the circuits work that he shows in that is that's Chad's epiphany. And he's very talented with this. But um, he started to go down that route when he was watching the video that I did on Circuit Port Earth. Right. And this is one of the things that I love about this community is that so many people are bringing together so many different pieces of information to create and piece together this um, kind of puzzle piece of this world that existed before we were here and we've been lied to about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it just goes unbelievably deep. And in order to, to really be receptive to the new information, you have to be willing to let go of, of, of everything, really. Here everything that we've been taught. There's a big video for you right there, Circuit Board Earth. That was 10 months ago. You know, it reminds me of, um, I used to be a big comic book reader. And there was a, a comic book character called The Flash. He's still around. And I remember reading this one um, edition, this one, this one uh, episode, they call them editions, of The Flash. And he was fighting an extraterrestrial and the extraterrestrial had taken human form and he had taken human form of somebody who what played roller derby. And so they had a track, right? And you had all these people on their roller skates going around this track and he got the flash to chase him on roller skates because he was very fast and he tricked the flash into doing this because he was using the track to charge a technology and that the flash with all of his superhuman speed would supercharge his technology. So when I, when I saw that your video you do with Chad Williams, I thought about that, that one comic book uh, edition of the flash that I read. Like, oh, wow. That's interesting. Cause those guys in the comic book were actually writing about this thing. Yeah. And when you take the implications of, Chad's research on what's actually going on with the fields and the geometries and, you know, the pyramid shapes and the stargate, you know, you think um, you know, I think the technology and, you know, creating that polarity between, like he says, the away team and the home team and, you know, all the emotions and all the energy that's generated, um, you know, at the same time, removing our knowledge of our, our existence as energy beings and electrical beings. And, um, 
you know, so it's just kind of a, a harvesting scenario. A oh, big time harvesting scenario, total harvest scenario. Yeah. Um, Michelle, I think we're, we're kind of winding down a little bit here, but I'd love to have you back on at some point in time. If you're willing to join the show again, we can go even sure. deeper. It's a good, yeah, I think it's a, this, it's a, it's a good, good so initial much. interview and connection here, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you back on. Yeah. There, there's so much, I mean, so many different areas. Um, again, once you start, once you're awake to it and start looking, you know, and I always like to tell people, just don't take my word for it. Just start in your own community. In right. some cases in your own backyard. Yeah. And, and um, cause it's there. Um, when I was waking up to this in Oklahoma, my brother owned a house in Shawnee and he, uh, he had these big stones cut, cut, cut and shaped stones in his yard. And I was starting to recognize what I was seeing, which is, you know, it's ancient stone masonry. Yeah. But we don't pay any attention to it because it's not supposed to be there. It's, you know, some kind of natural occurrence. It's like, no, I mean, you see, you know, straight edges and angles and, you know, old stone. But, you know, that's why I say the civilization goes way back into ancient times. Right. Um, but it's all part of the same civilization. And yeah. um, so start doing your own research, especially the older buildings in your community. You know, and ask the question, is it possible that this was built when we're told? Or is, you know, does this story make sense? Right. Um, and I just want to, I want to add, I'm an educator on a new platform called Nguru. And our big launch is in June. Um, but it's basically a one-stop shop for good information, uh, you know, hidden history, other things. That's my, my piece, but there's a lot of um, natural healing, detox, law, um, from a great group of people. And um, so we're excited about the- And Guru, big, I, I love that. Big kickoff in June. In June, okay, so, great. I've, I've um, been the, the mainstay for about six months now, but more people are coming in and it's kind of, it's like a private member club mm -hmm. and it's $9.99 a month, but you have access to everything. And it's a new concept, but um, it's, you know, there, people need information and yeah, information absolutely. from people- that they can trust on how to navigate this world that we're in. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. So I wanted to bring uh, Eddie back on here because he's been kind of hanging out a little bit. Let's take a couple minutes here. Let's just bring him on. And um, where'd he go? I'm, I'm oh, I, there you are. Uh, are you on the video? Where'd he go? Let's do that. Let's bring him back on here. I don't know if you saw the first part of the show, but it was very interesting. We talked about the uh, the large hydrocephalic head people. Any any take on them? Uh, absolutely. There's evidence for them in the past and even in the present. I mean, you, there's I've seen pictures of people today that have have heads that have a, a elongated shape to them. Mm -hmm. Hey, Eddie, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, so what did you think of Michelle, Michelle's presentation? Well, it's very interested, uh, interesting, and it's interesting that, uh, that Tartary is uh, looming large. The one thing I, I, I do say is the task at hand is to save Western civilization. Absolutely. Absolute, that is absolutely what we must do. And if um, too much of uh, other things gets in the way of that, that's not a good thing. Uh, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to be studied, but we must 
save Western civilization. Okay. Uh, I agree. And, and I mean, I've been following things pretty closely the last few years, and I do believe that um, we're seeing what was planned play out, but I think there was, there was also a counter uh, plan in place um, to, to stop that. And we're kind of in a, a seeing different things happening. Um, I believe that community, but on my online community, I'm I'm seeing more and more people wake up. Yeah. And I'm hearing about more and more people wake up in general um, mm -hmm. to something being very wrong here. And <laughs> and so I think the success of it depends on people people being awake enough to understand um, what's taken place and. I mean, that's the only reason I can think of for so much still playing out is to wake people up. Mm -hmm. I, I've been yeah, awake yeah. to a lot of things for a while, and I thought it was, it was I didn't think it would go this far. <laughs> hey, well, I, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you again, uh, Michelle. Uh, well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Okay, thank you. And, and uh, Robert, I'll, I, I have to go and uh, try and... Uh, Eat something. You, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you the link to the to the magic fruit, Eddie. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll uh, depart at this point. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye for now. Bye, Eddie. Thank you. All right, Michelle. It's been great. Thanks for being here, taking time out. I know you're super busy and with your research and other requests for interviews. But I'd love to have you back again sometime. And you know, you whatever topic you want to talk about. Um, you know, willing to host you for it. So thanks again. Great. And again, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, you're it's, welcome. Yeah, it's just uh, my comfort zone has always been writing. Mm -hmm. And I can do that all day. And I've gotten better at the speaking part. But when I first started out a couple of years ago, this this is, was my area that I wasn't as comfortable with. But yeah, I, no, you're, I think you're doing, better. <laughs> no, you're doing a great job. I, I'll be honest. This is honest, right? When I first heard your delivery, I said to myself, and I've said this to a couple of people, I love her material. She sounds a little mechanical. Okay. That was just my own personal thing. Right. But I'm going to tell you that has changed. Like your style and your delivery has evolved and grown as you've gone through this material. So I just wanted to give you some feedback on that. I'm just being honest, right? Because you have evolved and no, you are doing I mean, a great job like life <laughs> for 2018 and so i got when i first started making videos i got the i had like the cheapest microphone <laughs> that i could find right and you know i've been i've been redoing some of my audio tracks and going good lord <laughs> you know so well you can you come across that. as a, you come across as i'll tell you what you come across as you've come across as somebody who's a very serious scholar right like that's how your videos come across and I'm there for the information and I, I'm not really there for the entertainment value, you know, but as you've, I think you've been great in this center, not that you've not great in other interviews, but you've evolved as you become more comfortable with the material, your presentation, your delivery has become much more relaxed and comfortable. So, you know, I think yep. you're doing great. Like your yeah. growth is clearly evident on so many levels. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, 
when I first started doing interviews, I would have like pages and pages of notes right. know, just kind of laid in front of me so I could kind of go there. But again, it, you know, it, it has gotten a lot easier, you know, the more that I do it and the deeper I go into it and the deeper I, I have it inside me right. um, to be able to pull out because my research is exhaustive yeah. and there's so many details in it. I, you know, I can't possibly remember everything. Yep. you know, some really yep. cool stuff. And I'm like, I, I want to get all the right ideas out. Um, yes. You know, and now I'm kind of like, oh, you know, no big deal. Yeah. So it's been fun. And, and I tell people, if I can do this, you can do this. Right. Everybody, <laughs> everybody has something to offer, right? Everybody's got like a, a little niche thing, you know, and everybody in the Tartarian community is very different. You know, is there, and I love John Levi and John has his own very kind of, you know, style and delivery and part of his personal journey. And, you know, Martin's very different and, you know, you've got new people that are coming on board all the time. And, and it's just, I think it's the most exciting thing that's happening on the internet. I think it's the most hopeful thing. Um, when I dive into it, I get a feeling of this is the way it was and should be. That's where mm -hmm. I go with it. And, and people need to know that. I mean, what we're told about ourselves and our history bears no resemblance to how we were before. Right. You know, we were given pain and suffering and misery and death as our, you know, that's just life, you know. Right. But it wasn't like that before. Let to me, me it's crystal let's, clear. Let me ask you a question. And, and then we'll see if we can uh, transition out of here with this. The whole idea of the Garden of Eden in the fall right? How does that connect to and reflect back on this other civilization, which in some ways seemed to be more holistic, closer to God and perfect. And then we have this story of the fall. Have you given any thought to that? I have, and I'm completely comfortable with the idea that the whole earth was the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. um, you know, abundance, um, you know, probably, you know, not the suffering that we see, I think this, um, this whole civilization, all of the, the infrastructure they've been talking about, the girls and the organs and the bells. And, you know, I think that was all creating a harmonious, balanced existence. Um, I learned about Hopi prophecy long before I started doing this. And, you know, the Hopi talk about Koyan and Katsi and the world out of balance, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, it, we're definitely experiencing that. Yeah. Um, but I do, I think earth was a garden of Eden and paradise lost, you know, was the whole idea of, of Satan and, you know, all these other disgruntled foreign angels, fallen angels going into the garden of Eden, you know, doing what they did man you know adam and eve get kicked out of the garden it's their fault and um you know i think that's part of that that story that we've been told that we're we're sinners and mm -hmm. you know did the wrong thing disobeyed god so therefore we can't be in the garden of eden anymore and and, and paradise lost is basically that talks about that mm -hmm. and um and I think it's giving us a very different picture of ourselves than what we were asked previously. Mm -hmm. You know, 
the living years. Well, I agree with you. And thanks. There's thanks for pieces of information in there. Yep. I agree. I agree with you. And thanks for taking a stab at that question. Michelle, I'm gonna let you go. Thanks for being here. You're welcome back anytime. Um, I, I had your YouTube channel up. I tried to find a website for you. Do you have a website? I I did. It's it's down. Um, it's going to be coming back in a different form. Okay. Um, I found out there was an unauthorized activity on there, so I just kind of had to. There's also interestingly enough another down Michelle, for a bit. <laughs> there's also another Michelle Gibson who's a researcher of some sort. I don't know if you know that. It's like like a college researcher. I don't know. It's a, kind of an interesting little little twist there. So the signal has gotten pretty rough here. Michelle, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'll get you back on the show whenever you want to. It's been a great day having you on here on the uh, Friday forecast. So you take care. Well, I will. And thank you. You too. And okay. um, look forward to talking to you again. All right. That was Michelle Gibson. Wow. Great interview. You could tell she's got a, I could probably talk to her for about four hours and we would just be scratching the surface of this topic. That's how much work she's done. That's how much she's uncovered really since 2016. And this is when everything started to happen was 2016. Everybody started to kind of look around and say, oh, what's going on in this building, this building? Oh, look, there's seems to be another building under there. What about this? What, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at this fucking picture. Where did this come from? They actually had this? They had these things, right? None of this was really happening prior to 2016. Something happened in the timeline around 2016. Something shifted. And it was like Tartaria was emerging or this civilization, this, this uh, pan, we'll call it pan, this global pantheon of civilization began to emerge at that time. Very interesting. Kind of coincides with the emergence of Donald Trump too. I don't think they are working hand in glove, but it's kind of something interesting to think about. Making America great again. Was that code for Tartaria? Was that code for the actual civilization that was here before the inheritors and the controllers found it, blasted it out, rewired and uh re-engineered people using things like insane asylums and world's fairs or re-education, bringing in the orphans. Was that what Trump was referring to? Not the America of the 1930s or the 40s, but the America of the pre-1840s, the America of the 1700s, the America of the 1600s. Is that the America that was being touted as being made great again? If it wasn't, probably should be. I'll be back on Sunday night here on this channel, Sunday night Astro Live. That's with me, Robert Phoenix. We got astrology and more. Tomorrow, I'm going to be uh, dropping by uh, Jimmy Brent's world. Jimmy Brent, a really great guy, 
based out of Las Vegas, Beyond the Matrix. That's his show. I've done a number of episodes with him. So he records his programs uh, and then he puts them on YouTube. And Jimmy's just a great guy. If you haven't found uh, Behind the Matrix, uh, it's a, I think it's Beyond the Matrix, Behind the Matrix. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Okay. Let's see. He's got a bunch of guitar tunes. He's a guitarist. I think it's a uh, behind the matrix. Hold on. I don't want to fuck up Jimmy's YouTube channel here again. Inside the Matrix. My bad. Inside the Matrix. Here, I'll give you a visual. He's got uh, 6,000 subscribers. Well done, James. And you can see he's got a bunch of people on there. Kathy O'Brien, you got it. Hey, everybody. Look at that. So I'll be on with Jimmy on Saturday, and then I think he uh, he puts the shows up on uh, YouTube. So there you go. All right. Thank you for being here. Use your head and go to the storm. It's real. Your heart to step what's possible. Uh, thanks again to Edward Spencer. Not Edmund Spencer, the fairy king. That was a wild story, wasn't it? <laughs> I love stuff like that. And of course, Michelle Gibson. Take care. And um, 